Hi, and welcome to this special episode of the podcast. On today, we have Tulika, who is an educator out of an international school in Kyiv. The guest is going to point us to some remarkable resources, all of which are over there in the show notes. Please be sure to give them their time, attention, amplify them, share them widely, and join me in learning from this remarkable guest. Hello, everyone. My name is Tulika, and I'm currently working as a secondary EL teacher at Petcher School International in Kiev, Ukraine. I identify as a queer affirmative, caste and race aware educator. My pronouns are she, her and hers. Thank you for having me here. I am. I'm really, really touched that you took the time to connect with listeners today. Tulika, you know what you are going through as an educator I think very few people can even imagine or wrap their their heads around um, just the the emotional weight of it, the physical weight of it, um, let alone just some of the practicalities of how you keep doing the work that you are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think something that many listeners will be familiar with is if they are following you, if they are following the PSI Church School International accounts online are the the works of art, the works of letters that have been coming your way. And I'm just sort of wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that connection, what that bridge has meant for you, for your school and for your students, um, because it, uh, it's it been overwhelming to see just from the outside. So I'd love to hear um, your, your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am also a member of ILOC, um, Association of Educators and uh, International Educators and Leaders of Color. And I put out a call for letters of support because I was in this situation in the first week where we were completely shell-shocked as teachers as to what to do. How do we go into a Zoom classroom or a Google Meet classroom? And what do we what do we even say to the students? And um, the one thing that I know that in any any kind of difficult or traumatic situation, no one, people feel alone and people feel very lonely. And the only thing that I didn't want my students to feel like, like they're lonely and like they're going through this alone. Um, yeah, so I put out that call um, on Facebook and Kevin um, and ALOC and the wonderful educators who are associated with ALOC and are a part of ALOC have been amplifying that and the outpouring and outpouring of the support has been has been really overwhelming. Um, it, it, I think there was a day where it took me like four hours to like sort out the letters and cards and I think that was the most meaningful part of my day. And I'm glad you brought up ALOC as well. Um, you know, they have just celebrated, of course, their fifth year anniversary. So listeners, it is a remarkable community. Now is a great time for you to, to register. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are some listeners who are saying, is it too late for me to, you know, contribute to the letters or the artwork for, for listener educators who their students want to connect with your students? Is that something that is ongoing? Because that sensation that you're talking about, that uh, yeah. you know, that, that loneliness, that disconnection, uh, you know, of course, that's not just something that we have to be mindful of for a few days or a few weeks, but um, I'm guessing that's something that, you know, is really, you're going to be thinking about for a long, long time. Yeah. 
Um, I think the outpouring of letters has been very helpful to students because we've been showing this to students through our school bullet bulletin and it's been, um, it, it just keeps flowing like we have so many slides in the school bulletin now and um, any teacher that I've spoken to so far uh, who has been sharing this with their students have been amazed by the support and particularly the Ukrainian colleagues are also very, very um are very moved and touched by the efforts that different schools have been making. Uh, I love that there are many schools are also showing having, you know, their students pictures taken along with the letters. Um, I, have I, I have pictures of students who are like folding paper cranes um, as as a symbol of peace for Ukraine. And uh, I think this continues to help our students feel like because this is the time where um, the situation has been getting quite difficult and this is the time where they need the most support and solidarity. Um, of course, the need and the scale of need has been increasing in different other ways as well. And um, I think uh, we'll have to think about um, the international community as, as international school teachers. Um, what do we do beyond letters of support to, to work together with our students to help Ukraine and Ukrainian people heal from this trauma. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I also, I know, I know that you'll have other links. Um, PSI has done a good job of providing some guidance, those that want to provide financial support, some institutions that are good to support. Um, Tulika, I'm hoping you'll bear with me as I kind of reread a tweet that you put out on March 6th. Um, so on March 6th, you tweeted, reflecting on the intellectualization of pain, trauma, and suffering, you go on to say, this has changed my life as a teacher and is making me question once again, what kind of teacher I want to be moving forward. Um, and again, it's sort of been no time at all since March 6th. And yet also uh, quite a bit has happened in that time. And I'm just wondering how those words resonate with you now and, and what you're kind of thinking about it. Again, I, I think that intellectualization of pain and trauma Sometimes it's a coping method. I'm speaking from my own right. personal experience, yeah. but I do think we have to be wary of that. And I'm just wondering, um, what has that felt like for you more recently? Um, the main intellectualization that I've seen or I've witnessed is, you know, when we are talking uh, outside of groups who are not in the midst of this. If I'm talking with family members, when I'm talking with friends who are not, uh, embroiled in this uh, in this war or in this conflict right now, um, there is this um, need to get into the debate about what the role NATO has played, the role the United States has played, to the role different imperial powers are playing. What is Russia doing? And I'm like, yes, that is, there is a place for that, and I do agree that we need to have conversations about this. But I'm the teachers who are in at PSI or the people who are in Ukraine, like we are, we are fighting for survival. I mean, the students are fighting for survival. There are uh, colleagues who are fighting for survival and there is a place for us maybe in late at the later stage to think about what this could have been like. There has been a lot of conversation about um, racism, uh, at the border control and the experiences of um, 
African nationals and Indian students at the border as well. And I think that it's important for us to realize that we can hold space for both, that, that both of those things are true at the same time, the suffering of the Ukrainian people and the, the challenges and the massive um, unfairness and the injustices that these communities are also experiencing at, at the same time. We can be critical of the, the support that the world has, sh has not shown towards uh, Palestine, has not shown towards um, Afghanistan, has not shown towards Syria, and at the same time hold space for Ukraine. We can, we can do both at the same time. However, uh, my concern is right now as a teacher who is in Ukraine, I am, my entire focus has gone on survival. And when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the midst of the storm, um, you just cannot afford to have any kinds of debates and discussions because you're not standing outside of it. You're directly impacted by it. And some of us who are witnessing this still to some extent from afar, because I left um, Kiev on 16th of uh, February, which is uh, nearly 10 days before this um, before the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. So I didn't hear the sirens. I'm not hearing these sirens that people are talking about. I can only imagine the impact of that. What I'm experiencing as a teacher and many of us who were able to leave that situation earlier on uh, is vicarious trauma, but still it's trauma nonetheless. And for many of our students and colleagues, it's direct trauma. It's bringing up separation of families since Ukrainian men are required to be uh, in Ukraine and fight for their country. And um, these are very, our students, our colleagues are forced to choose between safety, security, and um, and being together with their family. And, you know, as you say, just the, the need to digest that on an emotional level paired with the reality that you're of course still working with students um you know i i'm thinking of a, a tweet that you had posted about the need for your students to also still laugh um and that you were playing pictionary together and you know they needed that and i'm sure that they do still need things like that and of course these are things where our teacher training, um, you know, the sense to which we're equipped to handle situations like these, of course, this is such an extreme example, but so many of our students have experienced trauma on much lesser levels. I'm just wondering what you're able to sort of tap into to help you out right now, because, you know, you're, you're talking about the need for compassion for your community. And of course, uh, you know, I can only guess the, you know, the need for your own self-compassion is, is yeah. mighty right now. Um, so if anything is, is helping you right now, what has been of some support? Um, I, I agree with you that I think no amount of teacher training will ever prepare us for this kind of situation. I, I never thought that we would be in this kind of situation. But at the same time, I think uh, I'm trying to draw from my own lived experience as person who has had, uh, who continues to have disabilities, um, a person who has struggled growing up as a person who's in therapy and uh, I have an excellent trauma-informed therapist who understands that there is a need during a traumatic situation to not engage a person in talk therapy, but move around the 
the, the main problem or the problem that is uh, causing a person to experience those triggers. Um, it, it's something that I realized gradually that the students are better responding to direct grounding and coping mechanisms or they are responding better to games and play and activities as opposed to having them talk about it. Uh, it's important for students to know that we are there and constantly sending them messages. So I've been trying to send my students messages on Google chats that, you know, I'm holding space for you, I'm there. And um, yeah, asking questions that are different from uh, what was your day like or how are you doing, but anything that will allow them to know that there is this space which is always there for them if they wish to talk. Uh, but when we are together, we try to uh, have these different kinds of routines and activities, which will help them connect with the present, which will help them find a small island of safety in the midst of the storm. Uh, you know, I, I so appreciate you bringing up the way that your own experience with therapy sort of helps you working with learners. Uh, you know, I'm a big, big advocate for therapy. It's it's done oh wonders for for my life and again it's one of those things that's still sort of taboo to talk about a little bit Thanks. so uh, you know I really appreciate you you bringing that up and I, it also dawns on me you know what you're talking about with bringing students back to the moment just grounding them in the present how important that is how important that is for us as well yeah. um, and I there's a part of me that wonders is that almost counter to what school does often. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, my work is primarily with secondary and how so much right. of it is, you know, you have to do this because of that thing tomorrow. And, you know, this is yeah. all about some imagined future. Uh, and again, I, I think that notion of play being a wonderful pathway back to the present, Absolutely. that is so, so powerful. And, and I think for adult learners as well, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering actually if, it, you know, I know listeners will be kind of curious just what's happening with your school right now, ways that perhaps they can be connecting, supporting, um, you know, I, I know that so much looking ahead is, is very much unknown right now, but the day in, day in, out of how your school is operating, can you give us some insight into how it's functioning? Sure. Um, when the full-scale invasion of Ukraine began, uh, the first meeting that we had, we um, were all having this conversation about, um, you know, how do we do school during this whole situation? Um, it's not going to be academics. Academics will be secondary. I think everybody was uh, entirely on board with that. It wasn't something that... Um, people felt the need to do. And there was uh, enormous support that we received from school counselors from different international schools and organizations. Um, we received a um, lot of support from Sea Change Mentoring as well. Um, but as, as we were going through our day-to-day, -day, we, re we realized that in during any traumatic situation, we need to give our students safety and we need to give them choice. Uh, for a person who is, because in this situation, there is no such thing as post-trauma. 
a lot of the resources that I was finding or I was encountering, it was all about PTSD. And I was like thinking to myself, this is not post-trauma. We are, this is during trauma. Like, what do you do when you are in crisis? Um, there are ways to, you know, find support to manage PTSD symptoms, but that happens when the war stops and that happens when the bombing and the shelling of the, of the country stops. And then we can, we, we will get to that point of um, supporting our students who are reeling under the impact of PTSD. Um, and I think uh, when I was talking to my therapist, she was telling me, she kind of guided me to this article where a Palestinian doctor talks about how PTSD is a Western construct because Palestinian children are in ongoing trauma. And one of the most powerful statements that she makes is that it's the context that is sick. It's not the people that are sick. So how do we and, and that's the that's that's been the situation whether we are talking about the struggles that queer people face or people with disabilities face it's not the people who are um if a person is facing depression or anxiety or loneliness it's because of their context and that needs to be fixed like we our students are responding to this traumatic situation so if we cannot control that piece, we are going to have students behave in different ways. So how do we open that space for them to feel like their needs are being addressed on an individual level? So one of the things that we were asking uh, during the advisory or having those individual check-ins, we had many individual check-ins during, uh, during our first and second week of advisory. And um, the first many students signed up and usually these students would be very quiet uh, on a in a in a whole class situation or even during you know when we had face to face school uh, but these are students who signed up and who wanted to speak to us for 30 minutes 40 minutes at a stretch and like we were just listening and we were not talking there was a time where i felt my us you know i felt myself like um, kind of holding myself back because I felt like I was about to give an advice and suggestion and I had to tell myself that they're not seeking that. What they need is they just need my attention and care and just they just need me to listen to them. And, and listening was the best thing that I could have done in the past two weeks. I think just being fully present along with my students as they are talking to me and as they're sharing their concerns and worries and about the layers and layers of uncertainties that they're grappling with. And I want to talk about that a little bit more because, you know, even in the connotation of how we frame that often, you know, just listening, it's almost like that needs kind of a rebranding yeah. of like just listening, like, you know, yeah. listening, you know, that's sort of slanted towards justice because, it's so important. Um, I, I think Western cultures have really devalued it. It's often, you know, what are you contributing to the conversation and forgetting the fact that there is no conversation without listening, but specifically, of course, listening for understanding, which is what you were just talking about. And again, I, I would just love to know more about what's informed your practice there because I feel like as an adult, I've almost had to retrain myself, as you were saying, to 
resist that urge to step in and like fix or suggest uh, a, a solution, but to really, really be there and to be with. Yeah, we have been like in my, uh, like I'm a graded homeroom advisor and along with my uh, co-advisor in advisory, we used to show our students the emotion wheel because uh, one of the things that students would um, many a times when students are sharing how they feel when they say I don't know there is this assumption that they are either being flippant or they don't want to respond or they don't want to engage but it is a very genuine response there are students we don't know how to name and label our feelings because we are not taught how to do that and it's uh, it's an important skill to develop as we are growing up um uh my when my uh, uh therapist was associated with the organization the alternative story which is based in india um they had offered a workshop called how to be a mental health ally for anyone who wants to support people in their life who might be dealing with mental health challenges because it's a country with 1.3 billion people access to therapy is um while there are many therapists uh now that are coming up and there is a lot of individual therapy work that's happening and that's being made accessible and available to people um it is still a place that relies on community support and connection and and we need that more than ever we need to empower people within our community so one of the sessions we started by offering a choice based session uh, to our students in the first week and we said that you have three choices we can do activism and advocacy related work for ukraine the second group would be students who are um who just want to learn some important skills such as you know maybe they are already in a place where they want to read or you know listen to stories or play with each other so one of the sessions that i had offered to the students is how do you help your peer who's currently in ukraine how do you listen to them how do you care for them how do you offer support um and there were there were students who wanted to genuinely know how to do that they said that we are outside of ukraine but my friend is in ukraine so i want to learn how to support them better and in this way what we do is we kind of decentralize what what therapy looks like which is a one person having a lot of individual power and sharing that power with the community that everyone and anyone in the community should be empowered to care for students including other kids because they are feeling more helpless than they've ever felt um so if they have the knowledge and the know how of how to support people in their life that's something that they can draw upon to support each other and uh, during this process yeah i'm kind of going back to the workshop that i had done on how to be a mental health ally the first session that i had was how to listen and we actually had paragraphs where we were um, listening to someone paraphrasing what they said an active listening exercise naming and labeling the emotion if they hadn't done that in their conversation so that we can repeat that along with the emotion words that um best fit with their with this situation or their context sometimes a person is not able to share with us how they're feeling but we listen to them we we help them label and name their feelings and paraphrase exactly what they said in our in our own words and that's an effective active listening 
um, strategy because what you're doing is you're listening. You're just, you're being present and listening. You know, I can't help but think uh, how fortunate your students are to have the educator that you are because I, I, I think that capacity to really understand the nuances of emotional literacy, um, you know, you mentioned also being a trauma-informed educator. That's not something that happens overnight. I'm sure that you've done a lot of professional learning um, in advance, which, you know, unfortunately, thank, you know, uh, thankfully you have done that. Um, and I've, I feel like I'm very early in my journey uh, of, of doing so, sort of more reading around that is an author who I follow very yes. closely and I really appreciate her work. And I'm wondering if you've got any other recommendations. Um, again, I think being a trauma-informed educator is really important for anybody who's even interested in going into the field. Um, yes, absolutely. I think it's something that I felt there was a need to do during the pandemic as well, even when I was working at my previous school in Japan. And that's where I felt like I needed to do it for myself first. That's how I got got into it when my therapist started telling me that that's something that you should explore for yourself to understand how you are experiencing trauma. Um, so I loved reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score by um, Bessel Kolk. Yeah, I think I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but it's the book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and uh, there was this organization called The Talking Compass, which is now called Quirest. And um, they had a trauma-informed care course, which was a self-paced course in four modules. Um, that was the first time I felt like as a learner, yes, this is the course that I can do because it was self-paced. And this is exactly what we were doing at PSI. We were just having self-paced modules with no deadlines. We only assign work to students who feel who are asking us for some work or, or saying that I want to keep busy. Can you give me something? We only give it to those students and the students who are not ready, we only talk to them. So we give students what they need and we share with them what they need, where they are in the moment. And it kind of made me realize that only if we always did that, you know, not just when we were <laughs> during a war. Uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, thinking the exact same thing as you were describing that, that that sounds like what education should be for everyone. Uh, and again, I am so happy to hear as a former PSI teacher, you know, that the community is is really just sort of leaning into as much compassion as they can possibly um, provide for their community right now. I, I want to be really cognizant of your time. Uh, I want to make sure, again, it's late for you right now. Um, and I know that rest is really important. So I, I just, I'll leave the final word for you. Um, anything else that you would like to share with listeners? Um, we'd like to just make space to, to listen to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm enormously grateful to people who are sending us letters and I haven't had the opportunity to thank people personally who has who have been sending us letters. Um, I do have um, suggestions and advice on community care and support for um, international schools and schools around the world who are hoping to support people from Ukraine because uh, one of the things that I did not imagine myself doing, but unfortunately having had friends who have had to seek asylum 
I have become familiarized with the process of what it takes to seek asylum in a different country. And it takes at least two or three years for you to find your bearings in a new place. Um, we as international school teachers struggle to do this in the most best and privileged of circumstances where there is the, you know, the local people from the school are often there to greet us at the airport. A principal or a head of school comes to receive you at the airport. They take you to your, uh, you have an accommodation. You don't, in most, uh, most cases, from what I know of international schools, accommodation is provided to teachers and these teachers we I have personally also you know have experienced that as an international school teachers that someone has come to receive me at the airport they have done all the visa and paperwork and the legal work for me um, and many of these families are navigating this all by themselves right now uh, and they are doing this when they are extremely traumatized they have left their homes they have separated from their family members uh, family members who need to be in Ukraine who are fighting right now for the survival of their country. Um, I'm, I'm personally right now struggling to find accommodation for some colleagues and some students. And um, it, it just allowed me to think how much more international schools can do. I'm very grateful to international schools that are opening their doors for our students. And there are schools that are also doing it for Ukrainian students. And I hope that those walls between international schools and um, public education will, this might be a time where it starts to kind of blur and we accept students from, from different communities and from different backgrounds. Um, there is, if we decide, this is something that Michaela Cole had said, um, that once we accept people, we also need to ensure that we can, we do everything in our power and capacity to also keep them there. So while we are inviting people into our spaces, while I am so grateful that we have so many people who are inviting Ukrainian people, non-Ukrainian refugees or, um, non-Ukrainian nationals who are fleeing war and inviting them into their space. Um, but this needs to be more of a community-oriented collaborative effort that schools organize and lead. And one of the things that schools can start doing is have a meeting, invite volunteers, have student volunteers, create an Excel sheet or a document uh, with a list of homes uh, numbers, contact information, make sure that each, each student and their family is assigned to a new person who is arriving from Ukraine. Um, go to receive them at the airport, go to receive them at the bus station, at the train station. Uh, on a regular basis, uh, deliver if you have found an accommodation for them and they are staying at that accommodation. Uh, give them care packages every single week make sure that their houses are stocked, their homes are stocked, and they have all of their practical needs are met. The need that we have right now is very practical. Um, if you feel like you are from um, a country where there are visa norms and visa restrictions for people who are not Ukrainian, but who are um, non-Ukrainian nationals who normally require visa to be in a particular country for an extended period of time, please do that research. Uh, every international school I know has a school lawyer. 
have use your school lawyer use your resources because i think that international schools have tremendous resources that they can deploy to support people right now make legal support legal aid available for them um ask don't assume that someone can stay in your country for an indefinite period of time people don't have privileged passports they can't stay in your country for an indefinite period of time what are the steps and procedures and how are you going to exactly support them every step of the way till they are able to stay in your country for the next two or three years or if required uh, permanently how can you support that whole process because it takes a huge amount of time many of our um, families might have to look for another job as well so parents this is not an effort that only administrators school administrators can uh, can personally take but these are efforts that everybody needs to be a part of i know that there are many uh, deib committees and student organizations that are looking to do the real work this is the work that you can do um this is the work that you can share we have to rally around the people who are uh, coming and not just say that our doors are open for you but tell us exactly how you are going to support people from our community who are coming to you now and it it dawns on me you know as you're talking about the incredible place of privilege that many international schools are in with their you know incredible bank of resources those who also are following the IB curriculum what you're yeah. describing is really you know living that vision um so again i i think as you have gone into great detail for this is what we're talking about like this is it yeah Thank you so much for for sharing. Um, you know, I, I I wish you well. I thank you so much for just giving a little more insight into your experience. We're going to have all of the resources that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, and uh, again, just thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Tisha. Thank you so much for having me.